Hello and welcome to Double Stint at Sebring, Sports Car 365's coverage of the Super Sebring event, and today is all about IMSA. I'm Jonathan Grace, and I'm joined today by Sports Car 365 Editor-in-Chief John DeGeese. John, how's your week been so far at Sebring? It's going really well, Jonathan. Um, we had we had the WBC prologue over the weekend, and obviously had all that covered in yesterday's show. And uh, today, I think we're going to be focusing more on the IMSA news and notes ahead of the Mobile One Twelve Hours of Sebring, as there's been a lot of off-track activity in the past week. Well, John, let's dive right in, and I think the biggest story to talk about is the news about Meyer Shank Racing. They have been handed hefty penalties for manipulating tire pressures at the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona, a race which they won. They have been allowed to keep the win, but as we said, some hefty penalties in the way of a fine. Uh, points have been taken away, and they've gone from leading the championship after round one to now dead last in class. Yeah, this sent shockwaves once it was officially announced by IMSA um, last week. And we, I even thought about making a special edition <laughs> episode of Double Stint when the news came out. It was that big of a, a news item, but um, we're sort of recapping it now. But nonetheless, um, a huge development. I, I think this is the biggest penalty we've seen in the WeatherTech Championship. Both team and drivers have lost 200 of their 350 points earned in the race. All team and driver points from the Michelin Endurance Cup have been lost prize money as well, and a $50,000 fine. Additionally, Mike Shank has been placed on probation through June 30th, and engineer Ryan McCarthy has been stripped of his IMSA credential and placed on indefinite suspension. We believe he's no longer with Meyer Shank Racing, as a statement from the team indicated that they had fired uh, the person, quote-unquote, responsible for this infraction. Um, Per IMSA, no changes have been made to the official results, so that means that um, the 60 crew get to keep their win in the race and their watches as well. And that's been the big controversial decision, I'd have to say, talking to, to people in the paddock, um, looking at the reaction on social media and, and everything associated with that, that perhaps IMSA maybe wasn't as strict as they could have been in this decision. Yeah, it's been interesting reading the comments and people's opinions, at least from a fan perspective. I think a lot of people think they should have had the win taken away or been penalized further or have some kind of disqualification put in place. But I think there are some, too, that are thinking it's it's just fine. Either way, it's it's been a really contentious one. The, the interesting thing to me is that this was brought forward by HPD. For one, I, I appreciate the, the honesty and the openness to come forward with something like this that ultimately hurts one of your own teams, especially you know, race one of of the golden era here. I, I to take nothing away from what was an excellent race, but I think a lot of this kind of makes more sense. We had been saying throughout the weekend, boy, the sixty looks really, really quick on restarts. And uh, you know, if you're dropping the tire pressures and then manipulating software so that the tire pressures being read by IMSA are looking just fine, it's fairly overt in, in terms of a breach of regulations and rules and, and cheating. But either way, it, it makes a lot more sense now why why the sixty was so quick. On top of the fact that the Acura just seemed to have the pace at Daytona, that this uh, certainly helped their cause. Yeah, I, I think we would probably be looking at a different winner had they not manipulated the tire pressures. Um, just knowing what you know, a, a change in two or three pounds of, of pressure can do, that can increase your lap times by tenths of seconds, so maybe even up to a half a second at certain times, especially on restarts when, when tire temps are low. So I, I think ultimately this should have been a race that Wayne Taylor Racing should have won, in, in my opinion. 
again, it's hard to do that retroactively after the race, after the official results were published. IMSA only had discovered this issue after they posted the official results. I think that was four days after the race. And ultimately, it's hard to backtrack once everything is sort of in writing and and 100% official. So I understand IMSA side of things. And also, um, there was a lot of questions on why it took this long for this penalty to be announced um, some six weeks after the Rolex 24 and just a week before the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring. And we understand that IMSA did a lot more analysis on competitors and, and, and did a lot of data work to ensure that there were no other competitors that were, quote unquote, cheating or manipulating the tire pressures as well, because this could have been more widespread across multiple teams. Um, I think this is an area that had not been fully examined in in, in the past. Um, again, this is my belief on what happened. It's not been confirmed from IMSA that this is exactly what they did. But I think as any big sanctioning body would have it, they would want to be thorough and and make sure they're not cutting any corners and jumping to quick conclusions. So I'm sure there was a, a huge data analysis across the board for every aspect to make sure nobody else was doing the same thing. Yeah, you know, and if you're IMSA or, or the officials, this is a really tricky one because on one hand, you could argue, well, they're setting a precedent that if you cheat, you can basically get away with it, keep the win, you'll just lose some points. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, this is the Rolex 24. This is one of the biggest events of the year. It's the start of the season. It was the first race with these new cars. There were so many factors at play. So I have a little bit of sympathy there for for IMSA and, and the difficult situation that they were in in trying to correctly assess a penalty for something like this. Um, either way, this is a huge blow to, to Meyershank Racing's championship hopes. They're the defending champions from last year. They seem to have just carried the momentum in here. Uh, but it's going to take a lot of rebuilding. We saw last season the the difficulty that the O1 had trying to keep their championship hopes going after a couple of, of races that uh, they had some mechanical failures or, or some troubles with the car, despite the, the pace that they clearly had really throughout the season. Uh, it's going to be really tough for the 60 car. Yeah, uh, especially losing 200 points right off the get go. Um, that's going to be extremely hard to make up. And and even just the stigmatism of knowing that this team pretty much cheated at the first race, um, that's probably a, a, a big effect on the morale of the overall organization as well. And this is something that, you know, Mike Schenk has built up over the years and and started off as an extremely small team with a tight knit group of, of crew members, a lot of them still with the team after all these years. And um, I'm sure this came as a big blow. And and again, not pointing fingers on who made this decision to manipulate the tire pressures. I, I personally believe it was probably multiple people involved. I don't think there was just one guy. And it's unfortunate that Ryan um, got called out. He was been a longtime engineer, um, called out specifically by himself. That is, um, he had been a longtime engineer with Shank dating back to the Acura NSX days. And um, certainly it's going to make life hard for him in the paddock and finding future work. So um, this is, again, this is sort of an unprecedented set of penalties we've seen in the modern era of IMSA racing. So um, let's wait and see what happens heading into Sebring. I'm, um, I'm really anxious to talk to a lot of teams and, and drivers and, and whatnot once they unload later this week. So certainly I think everybody's going to be talking about it over the course of the week for sure. 
And John, I think a nice way to wrap this point up before we move on to our next headline is that MSR has taken full responsibility for it. They said, we own up to it. We we recognize it. Quote, we've taken responsibility, end quote, for the penalties imposed. They consider this matter closed, it seems, from their statement. They said they have fired the, the individual involved in, in Ryan. And whether there was multiple people involved or just one, it seems like from Meyershank Racing's perspective, the matter is closed and over with, and they just want to get on and, and focus with the rest of the season. Yeah, and I guess that's the best way you you can do it because what's done in the past is done in the past and you can't change things even if you regret it. So um, we all do have to move on and and, um, try to make the most of things and see how they perform on the track this coming weekend. Our next headline deals with the GT classes. The new Type 992 generation Porsche 911 GT3R has gotten a power increase ahead of Sebring. This was a huge point of contention at Daytona. Pretty much all of the Porsche teams were wildly unhappy with the balance of performance that they had been given uh, from the preseason testing they had done at Daytona to when they got to the Roar and then were finally competing during race week. The Porsches were objectively massively off the pace. And Porsche was pointing fingers at IMSA and IMSA was saying, saying, you know, we, we've tried to balance the cars as, as fairly as we could. But these cars were kind of in a probationary period where IMSA was allowed to make adjustments to them. And so they have made an adjustment, and it's quite a large one. 38 millimeters now is their air restrictor, uh, and that's a massive increase from what we saw at Daytona. Yeah, it's 5 millimeters lo- larger than what was at the Rolex 24. They had recently tested a 34 millimeter restrictor um, at the open Sebring Open test last month, and that did not produce... Um, a significant improvement. I think Kai Van Berlo was the quickest of the Porsche drivers in that test, and he was about 1.6 seconds off the pace. So um, this 38 millimeter should definitely do the job, I would think. Although I'd heard rumblings that Porsche was sort of hoping for something closer to 40. Um, Of course, you always want to wish for more than what you get. So maybe this is sort of meeting in between somewhere. Um, But I I think the bottom line is that IMSA has definitely reacted. They've made the changes. um, And I I hope that this sort of puts this controversy to rest because there are a lot of upset people in the paddock, a lot of upset fans, and understandably, because um, when you purchase new cars, when you're a a supporter of a Porsche team and you don't have a chance of winning um, or even getting on the podium, um, that's a really tough situation. Um, Obviously, this is a new car, just like the Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo 2. It's it's also gotten a a performance uh, increase for Sebring. So that's good news as well, because they were slightly off the pace, maybe not as much as the Porsche, but um, still um, they get a a larger restrictor as well. So that should help with their um, deficit they had there. The Ferrari 296 GT3, the other all-new car alongside the Porsche for this year, also um, had some changes as well. So we'll we'll see how that involves things because the Ferrari actually got a 15-kilo increase in minimum weight, but they got an increase in turbo boost pressures. So again, a power increase. I think that might offset each other, but... Um, It'll be interesting to see how that works once the official practice starts on Thursday. So um, I think this was great news overall. I think it shows that IMSA is listening. I um, I hope that people can calm down now and and sort of focus on the race itself and and not thinking there's some conspiracy behind things and and thinking that IMSA is deliberately doing this to the Porsches or, or other things like that. So. Um, let's, let's see how they perform on track. Um, six of the seven Porsches that were at the Rolex 24 will be at Sebring. So that's good news. We haven't seen a mass exodus of teams, even though Ryan Hardwick has, um, scaled back his program to the endurance cup races only. Um, we have MDK motorsports. That's not 
on the grid for Sebring, and we believe it is probably BOP-related, but we haven't gotten that officially confirmed yet. Um, but nonetheless, um, the majority of the teams are there and they'll be present and uh, can't wait to see how they perform. And yeah, I think just to wrap that point up, we mentioned it when we were recording Devil Stint in, in Daytona after the race, but at the end of the day, you just want to see everybody be able to come to the track and compete uh, on, on equal footing. And I think from what it looks like before we're seeing the cars on track for the first time, this looks like IMSA is genuinely trying to, to make sure everybody can compete as equally as possible. And, and that, that's a great thing to see. That's the whole idea of the IMSA Technical Committee led by Matt Kurdock. Um, Simon Hodgson's involved in it as well. There's a lot of smart people working behind the scenes. And it's hard to sort of uh, explain that at times when people just see numbers on a, on a piece of paper and and they get upset and and start pointing fingers and and claim that oh this person should be fired or that but but at the end, end of the day this is a group decision this is not one person making the rules uh, IMS has formed a very very comprehensive process and, and committee to do BOP changes. And sure, it's a thankless job. Absolutely. I Like I said, I think on last week's show, I never would want to be the guy um, helping shape the BOP because it's, it's a task that you'll always get criticized with one way or another. And the key is trying to make it as equal as possible. And um, when you have new cars in the mix, it really throws up a lot of different variables. And um, the Porsche obviously had a larger displacement engine that I think everybody expected to be significantly faster. And it turns out it really isn't. Um, at least that's what the way we're under, we understand things now. And I, th- I think that might have thrown a little bit, a little bit of a curveball with, with, in terms of the BOP. Also, you have to remember this car, IMSA was BOP for the first time. The SRO had yet, had not yet gone through the BOP process for the Type 992. Um, it had only done, I think, a couple Kerventec races and NLS races, but they were basically in uh, unclassified state where they they weren't under a complete scrutiny in terms of the BOP. So IMSA was really the first ones at this, and um, cars are always complex and. Um, hopefully with all the data received at the Rolex 24, at the Sebring open test, at a Sebring, Sebring private test the following week, which saw some further cars take play, take part, um, we now have enough data to go by. And this could be a hopefully a, a, a much more closer battle for, for the Porsche customers come Sebring race week. Well, John, to wrap up this episode, let's talk about the entry list. We have it now, 54 entries for the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring. We'll have eight GTP class cars, eight LMP2s, 10 LMP3s, eight GTD Pro cars, and 20 GTDs. And in the GTP class, we did see nine at Daytona. Of course, the the O2 that was running there is now the two in the World Endurance Championship. That was the blue car that Chip Ganassi had brought over to basically use the Rolex 24 as an extended test for their WEC campaign. So this is the more regular field of eight cars that we'll be seeing in the GTP class for the endurance round this season. You mentioned some teams that were notably not on the entry list, MDK among them. Uh, but for the most part, while it's a smaller field than, than the fairly massive one at Daytona, 54 entries is still going to be a busy field for Sebring. Yeah, I think we might have been expecting a little more. Um, like you said, Jonathan, there are a few cars that aren't here in addition to MDK. Um, NT Esport is currently not listed. Sun Energy One is not listed as well. Um, Sun Energy wanted committed to the Endurance Cup, but it had spoke to um, Kenny Hubble about this in the past, and he said they were likely going to have to miss one of the endurance races. So 
this presumably is that one. So hopefully we'll see them back at Watkins Glen. In terms of some other cars, it's sort of, you know, give and take here and there. There were some one-off entries for Daytona that we don't see, just like you mentioned with the second Cadillac from Chip Ganassi Racing. We have some driver changes. Um, uh, nothing in, in, in GTP. It's basically the same as what we saw at Daytona, except for some fourth drivers that are not present in the lineups. Um, uh, you have a maximum of three drivers per lineup for Sebring. Um, actually, I think it's mandated all classes run three drivers. LMP2 sees Nolan Siegel in the CrowdStrike racing by APR, Orica Gibson. He's been a really um, guy on a tear racing in LMP3, um, uh, having a star drive in the Asian Le Mans series um, a couple of weeks ago. So cool to see him get this opportunity in a top running entry there. Um, we have some other changes in LMP3. We have um, Dan Goldberg drafted drafted into JDC Miller's car. Trenton Estep, who had drove for MDK, um, he's now in Ave Motorsports' new Liger effort. So that's interesting. Um, also, um, Julian Andlauer's moved over to the sister Kelly Moss with uh, Riley Porsche in GTD, and we'll see Frank Pereira in Iron Lynx's GTD Pro Class Lamborghini alongside Jordan Pepper and Roman Grosjean. Um, for Sebring. There's still a few more TBAs, so um, be sure to check out Sports Card 365 for the latest, um, hopefully when they start unloading on Wednesday. Yeah, the good news is because it's Super Sebring, we're bringing you regular coverage, so we'll be sure to keep you updated with everything that's happening and as stories change and evolve. You can, of course, read up on all the news on the website, but we'll have news podcasts like this for you every couple days throughout the event uh, to keep you well informed of what's going to be an incredible weekend. It's already been uh, a lot of fun down here in Sebring, and and we can't wait to continue to bring you coverage of of this excellent event, uh, especially because we may not see it in this format for that much longer. We won't go into that can of worms today, but this is a special place, a special event, and we're certainly enjoying it, and we hope you are too. That'll do it for us in this second episode. If you have the time, we'd greatly appreciate a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. It really helps out the show. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from. For John DeGeese, I'm Jonathan Grace. We'll see you right back here for another edition of Double Stint at Sebring.